Good morning, church. Um, hi. Honestly, I, I feel like just having heard what Julie had to say, it's really hard to come up here and, and preach. Um, that in and of itself was like a sermon for us. And so, yeah, forgive me if, because um, these, yeah, these three women are just amazing, special women. So they're showing really at home for me this morning. And so, um, yeah, well, Bev and Renee, they're no longer physically present with us. They've left a legacy and that lives on in their lives through their children. And also through those of us here who knew them and how they impacted basically this world, they impacted the world as mothers, as educators, as wives, as friends, and as believers. And like Julie said, while we'll, we'll never understand um, why the plan worked out the way that it did, why cancer, why death, while we might think that their stories are finished because they're not walking on this earth anymore, really, has their story ended? A long time ago, God told Abraham he would multiply, right? His descendants would multiply through Abraham's lineage. And doesn't that mean then that still going on, God is still at work here. Our sermon title today is Finish What You Started. And I hope by the end of the sermon today, you'll be able to identify who you is. We've come now to the end of our sermon series meant it for good. And in the process of completion and being able to finish, we know that God meant it all for good. And for the last seven weeks, our sermon series has been all about Joseph, whose story has been one of rescue and redemption. Joseph, who is favored and gifted, whose favoritism and giftedness cost him but also blessed him. With his ability to dream, prophetically, he was destined for greatness. Joseph's dream alluded to how significant Joseph was gonna be in impacting lives with people actually bowing down to him. And in fact, he would raise, rise up to become the second most powerful in command under Potiphar. In these seven weeks, we've read Joseph's story, which included being rejected by his brothers, sold by them into slavery, moved up in rank as one of Potiphar's stewards, thrown in jail after being falsely accused of enticing Potiphar's wife, surviving one of the worst famines, and eventually reuniting with his brothers and his father. It didn't all happen overnight, though. And today we bring Joseph's story to a close, reflecting and actually circling back to our very first sermon on Joseph, where we were reminded that God meant it all for good as we look back. We've gone through the walls of trials and tribulation, and one final thing remains now for Joseph, how to end well with his father and his brothers. His dad is about to die. How is this meant for good? Our text today comes from Genesis 48 through 50, which are three chapters, 
but I've selected only a couple of passages to highlight this morning. And the first one is Genesis 48 verses 1 through 4. After Joseph has been instrumental in helping deliver Egypt from a severe famine by putting out a warning so that there would be time to prepare and then being in charge of rationing and dispersing whatever grain they were able to collect. Joseph's family, his actual family, has relocated to Goshen from Canaan, their homeland, because of the famine. And now it's around 12 years later, and Jacob has become ill, and he is going to die. So read along with me in Genesis 48, verses 1 through 4. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel, also known as Jacob, rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, which later became known as Bethel in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give you I will give this land an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. So in this moment, we have Joseph bringing along his two sons to see his dad, their grandpa, to receive a blessing. And in the process, in verses to follow, Jacob actually adopts the two as his very own by placing them on his knee. I guess this is a ceremonial kind of thing and bestowing a blessing upon them as they are on his knee. And there's a lot of little things that go on that we're not going to get into today. Um, we could probably talk about in a, a good Bible study, <laughs> but he bestows a special blessing upon Ephraim, who is the younger of the two sons, which is reminiscent of Jacob's own experience of being blessed as the eldest with his own older brother, Esau, and as with Isaac over Ishmael in previous generations. Jacob then goes on in chapter 49, which we're not gonna read that either, but he goes on to bless his sons, all of them, which is an interesting read, if you're interested, as blessings are handed out based upon choices that the sons have made in their lives. This blessing of Jacob is noteworthy because it is very prophetic in nature. And where the fourth son, Judah, after leaving out his first three sons, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, for some choices, Judah receives the blessing of the eldest son. And so I, did, I had to like go back and look this up. Why Judah? Well, it was Judah who guaranteed Benjamin would be returned safely to Jacob when Joseph demanded to see him. It was Judah who secured the release of Simeon and also sought out Joseph to get more food during the famine. Judah led them into Egypt. It would be Judah whose lineage would, could be traced to David and eventually Jesus himself. Jacob bestowed many blessings upon his deathbed, but the ultimate blessing that came from God through Jacob of the promise of the Savior to come. As Joseph's story comes to a close, we come to understand that it is important to finish what God started because number one, generations will be blessed. 
It is important to finish what God started because generations will be blessed. What if Jacob had never been able to share his blessing? What if Joseph had chosen not to go and see his dying father? What if Joseph didn't even participate in the story getting finished? Scripture describes Jacob's death saying that after he had pronounced these prophetic blessings of what would be the tribes of Israel and had asked to have his remains taken home to Canaan, in verse 49, oh, sorry, chapter 49, verse 33, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost, which is a strange way to say he died, and was gathered unto his people, which likely means that his remains were returned to Canaan to be buried with his family. And Jacob could then die at peace, being able to say that, to ask for that. If you read this long passage, Jacob is told by God in verse four, oh, sorry, in um, chapter 48, that the descendants of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham are gonna increase in numbers and become a community and own land. And of course, we know in hindsight, before Jesus is born, that people are going to endure a lot of turmoil caused by their lack of following God and living according to their own principles and values. But nonetheless, this dream stuff, God speaking to the people in their dreams, it is all purposeful and part of God's plan. So, so I, I really like put that in a nutshell for you. So, okay. So it's all purposeful and part of God's plan, dreams. So whether it's a daydream during, or a dream during the night, we know God uses dreams to bring foresight and vision to what is ahead, just as he did with Joseph's dream. Perhaps you've experienced it too in your own life. Would Joseph understand Jacob's dream at the time? Probably not. Did Joseph understand his own dream at the time? Probably not. Even though he was a leader destined for greatness, Joseph had no idea how many times that he himself would need rescuing, he would need to be redeemed, he would need resilience to respond to the call that God had placed upon his life along the way. And what's interesting too is that Joseph's dream is God beginning a good and hard work through Joseph. When, jo jo when Jacob had his dream, he is continuing to name God's plan into the next generation. There's something else that is happening in this passage too, and, and that is an assurance being sought by Jacob that his remains are going to be returned to his homeland, Canaan's promised land, for burial with his ancestors who are Israelites, not Egyptians. And so there's something about Jacob not wanting to be left, his remains left in Egypt because he didn't feel that that's where he belonged. Not resting in Egypt, but in Canaan, identifying as an Israelite. And this has tremendous symbolic meaning because by association with the promised land, Jacob is also claiming hope in the faithfulness of God's promise for blessing and for eternal life. But before that, let's go back now um, to our passage. <laughs> and we focus on Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. And so Jacob has died. And now his brothers, Joseph's brothers, 
are worried again, right? When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Dad is no longer there to protect them. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and they threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children, for you and your children, generations to come. And he reassured them. And he spoke kindly to them. Here his brothers have come. They're actually throwing themselves down before him and saying, we're your slaves. Remember the dream that Joseph had when he was just 17 in Genesis 37? Joseph's dream depicted that he and his brothers were binding sheaves of grain out in the field. And Joseph's sheaf rose upright and suddenly his brother's sheaves gathered around him bowing down to it. And then later a similar dream came with the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowing down to Joseph. And here we come fast forward to this moment after Jacob has died and his brothers are indeed bowing down, throwing themselves before Joseph, telling him they are his slaves, although in a desperate attempt to save themselves, thinking that Joseph's gonna take revenge on them, right? for selling him into slavery. But he's grown so much. He's transformed so much. God has transformed him so much. Instead of any revenge or punishment, especially since it does appear that brothers were lying about Jacob instructing them to ask for forgiveness, Joseph forgives them anyway, saying, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Right? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. He reassured them. He spoke kindly to them. He recognized the weight of their guilt. Joseph bestows his own blessing upon his brothers and their children. God has done this amazing transformation of Joseph's faith over time so that he can set aside the betrayal, not to forget it, but to forgive it. Finish God's story, because number two, dreams and faith become meaningful over time. Now, if you've been turning into, tuning into the sermon series weekly on Joseph's life, I would imagine, and I, I would hope, in somewhere in those seven weeks that there are at least a couple of sermons that have really spoken to you, that perhaps you relate to, that have some meaning, maybe because of where you are in this particular moment. 
Maybe because you've experienced your own sibling rivalry or the brokenness of family. Maybe something in your life where the word famine is metaphorically symbolic of being without or being hungry. Maybe it's feeling conflicted to do what your beliefs tell you what is right. Or dealing with mortality and inevitable loss. As I've reflected on what Joseph's story means in my personal context, what's resonated with me over the weeks is the relationship between Joseph and his dad. Joseph knew he was favored by his father over all the other siblings, and yet he had to pay a price for that, especially after God gave Joseph this gifting of a, a, a dream. Being estranged from his dad may as well be like having died because there's no relationship happening and there's sadness and some remorse for the time that is lost and yet there's also gratitude that happens here for reunion when their relationship is restored i am no joseph <laughs> and my dad is still alive but i realize most likely not for much longer at least not till 100 years old, which is his goal. But God can do anything, so who am I to say, right? We never know. My grandmother lived to 101. <laughs> but my dad is close. He is 96 years old. But the pandemic was his famine when he developed a spinal issue needing surgery in 2021. And after being put under to go through the surgery with a general anesthesia, he woke up no longer as strong or alert as before. And from then on, it's been a steep decline. I've talked about my dad from time to time over the years. Indulge me again, folks. The perspective's a little different, I promise. But I've talked about him and I used to say that my relationship with my dad was my thorn in my side because it had always been something that it was in the back of my mind. Meeting to his expectations became really important to me. I didn't want to disappoint him. I didn't want to embarrass him. So I tried really hard to be a good daughter. But the problem with that is that when you mess up or life gets tough, then you no longer are the good daughter, right? There's so much that in the, year, in the years that I've chosen to try to work on and to process and to understand my relationship with my dad, that I see now after lots of therapy and like, yeah, just sitting, praying, talking with other people and just time, just time and seeing other people's experiences. I see a lot has to do with me and not him. That I put this enormous amount of pressure on myself to achieve and to excel and to appear capable and strong. I created this image in my mind of how I should be and not who God had intended. I think the earth shattering moment came in our family. My, my family's life is when my mom had died, when she died suddenly 30 years ago and she had done everything for my dad at home. So he was lost. And so at the time I lived at home, I was just out of law school and single. And so I stayed to help him just to 
yeah, to get through the grief. And then I got married and I, and, and we moved in together there. My husband at the time moved in and then we moved out. And then during my first pregnancy, my dad needed help again. So we moved back in. And then years later, um, well, years later, because if any of you have had adult children and they've lived out on their own and then they come back home and live, you know what that, that's like. It's really tough, right? Those of you who have young children, just wait. <laughs> so you talk about transition, all caps. <laughs> and so he had a front row seat when I moved back in at, and was married at the time, and then I became a mother. He had a front row seat to how good a mother I was, how hard I was working, what kind of wife I was. And so all the imperfections started to appear again, and we began to clash. And I, instead of fighting back, I began to cower and hide more of my life from him. It was just easier. And very rarely did I fight back. But over time, the pressure got to be so bad. And um, yeah, and then my marriage wasn't doing well. And, I, and then I left. I left with my children. And there was a cutoff in our relationship. I may as well have been dead. My sister, poor thing, she had to choose was her loyalty, my father, my sister, and I understood she had to choose my dad. I understand that. Um, but I know that it affected her too. And I stayed away not wanting to disrupt things more, but I would send my kids over to see their grandpa because that relationship was really important to me. And while we reconciled once, after I got remarried, we tried to live um, with my dad again so that my kids as they were getting older could have a relationship with him um, yeah more therapy and I felt like God was opening doors to a better relationship and it was all right for several years until it wasn't and I could see again resentment my dad's resentment towards me it was obvious to my children who are now young adults and it was really important to stop the growing resentment towards their grandfather too so, yeah, and the other thing was just modeling behavior for them, just to stop being quiet and stop being, um, stop taking some of the stuff that was going on. So we left again. And this time, I think even my father realized it was for the best. It was a little harder for my kids, though, to remain as close to their grandpa because they had been impacted by the tension and the animosity. And where I'm going with all this is just realizing that sometimes the story takes years to develop into something different. I think I've been saying the same story for seven years and it's finally, you know, changing. Um, yeah, it takes years sometimes to have a new theme, a new plot. From when I was a little girl, the dream had been to be loved and appreciated by my father and accepting Christ in college became this long, hard, painful, frustrating road of trying and failing countless times to make that dream happen. My dream. After all, God was in my life now, but still it was my dream. But only as I came to know the personal, loving, compassionate, accepting and affirming Christ did I begin to see that God was making these dreams happen for a good father to love a good daughter. 
Jesus stepped into the shoes of the good father and helped to make my dream meaningful and restore faith that seemed to echo into the darkness of my soul. As my dad has increasingly needed more care and attention, I have stepped into the role of caregiving with others in my family. I've always seen and known this strong, strong-willed man. But in the last month, there's been a lot of hard news, a formal diagnosis of dementia. And oddly enough, even though I knew that that had happened, it's very different when the doctors actually say it when they pronounce it. And then a couple of weeks later, as I sat with him at his oncologist, the news of his cancer metastasizing, that was another punch. I couldn't even think about that without welling up for a while. I didn't want to talk about it. And next month, May, another doctor is asking to see us about his kidneys, which are failing and potentially needing dialysis. As my dad has declined, our relationship has changed and he has become much more grateful and he is concerned about my overdoing things. And he loves, loves, loves his only two grandchildren even more so. And he talks about them all the time, like every five minutes. I think all memory illnesses can be cruel robbing one of the ability to store the beautiful moments in life, but also merciful because the bad memories can be released. I know memory illnesses can make one tender-hearted and sweet and conversely very obnoxious and difficult. Either way, there are no longer these filters with my dad. He has been sweet and kind. Thank you, Jesus. In visits with him, he has spoken words that perhaps I have waited all my life to hear words of affirmation for being a good mom, a good daughter, a good person. I've received more smiles and hugs and hand squeezes. And it may be fleeting, but it is real and it's personal and it moves me. It makes meaningful out of the meaning of life. But similar to Joseph finishing the story, my dad's story, even mine, it takes time. Dreams and faith became reality over time when I realized God's hand, God's faith, contending for good, God's good. Finish God's story, number three, because God meant it for good. As I was writing this sermon, I ended up changing this point um, from God always finishes what he started to circle back to our sermon series titled God Meant It For Good. And the reason is that I realized for you and I, the story isn't really finished yet. We're still here. As the generations are being blessed by each one of you, how we live our lives. Yeah, God isn't finished with us until we meet him after we leave this life. Or when he returns. And I've been trying to reconcile that with Jesus's life and death and resurrection just before Jesus died on the cross. His last words were, it is finished. It is finished. What is finished? 
Jesus' life and mission here on earth was finished. And we are now in this waiting period. If we lived some 2,000 years ago, we'd be waiting for Jesus to ascend to be with God in that 40-day period after his resurrection. But here and now, we are waiting for God to finish the story when he returns. So in the meantime, you and I, we are in this critical time, living our earthly lives, but with the, pers with the perspective of eternal life as our prospective life. We're living our earthly lives, but with the perspective of eternal life as our prospective life. And I think just as Jesus in his short time that he came as fully human and fully God to be with us, he made the most of that time of seeking and teaching and how to find meaning in life with the essence of God making it meaningful. We can see how God's essence of faith in Joseph's life worked as he encountered betrayal and rejection and famine and was able to experience transformation in all of that. Unity, rescue, redemption, forgiveness, mercy and grace, all characteristic of Joseph and Jesus's stories. But God's unfinished story. For Bev and Renee, despite having to battle the ravaging effects of cancer, their cancer could not defeat the beauty of who each of these women were, how we remember them, and the imprint that they leave in our everyday lives, making people, places, experiences, and I hope your own relationship with Christ more meaningful. Thank you, Julie. Where's Julie? Where's Julie? Julie. And Pastor Yumiko and Debbie and Nathan and Leanne and Larissa and Keith and Jensen for sharing what has been meaningful stories and at the same time, I know, painful, so that we see how God meant it all for good and that one day God will finish the story. But in the meantime, we have a mission to finish the story of our lives well. This week, take some time to reflect back on the series. Look at some of your notes on some insightful and challenging sermons that have been presented. There is a lot that Joseph learned and can teach us. I'm gonna invite the worship team up to get ready. Friends, Jacob and Joseph were chosen by God to live into the dream that God had placed in their minds and hearts. As believers and followers of Christ, we are also tasked with finding the same kind of bravery that Joseph did to stay in the story, to walk through it with God, to finish well. And that doesn't mean the outcome will be favorable to us all the time. It may not even make sense. Like Julie shared, we don't know or understand God's plan, but Bev and Renee, they finished their stories well, didn't they? Their victory, their freedom, their eternity was not just for this kingdom now, but together with God for his eternal kingdom. Friends, time allowed Joseph to see and understand the importance of forgiveness and reconciliation, humility and grace, and act in a way that we know that Jesus would, even though the Messiah had yet to arrive. 
In fact, it is Joseph who exemplifies the same characteristics of Jesus, who based upon his character and his conviction to save people and to serve people, refraining from sin, he brought people together like Jesus did. So may you and I, all of us, have the conviction and the courage to finish God's story, to bless the generations to come, to experience meaningfulness in our faith and walk, and to say with conviction that God meant it all for good. This morning as we close, rather than me praying, I've asked the worship team to come up and play the blessing, which I'd like for it to be our closing prayer this morning as you sing. Amen. So let us respond uh, to Pastor Cheryl's invitation. Uh, you can, if you can get yourself in a posture of prayer, whatever that might be, standing, sitting, kneeling, whatever makes sense for you, whatever the Spirit's leading you, and let us respond and sing the song as our prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you be gracious to you lord turn his face toward you and give you peace sing that again lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you be gracious to you or turn his face toward you
it. And again, ah.